Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Hi everyone and welcome this week's guest, Jude Ella. Jude, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Going well, thank you. Now, there's a few different elements to your story and we were just discussing before we came on where we'd start. And I think probably the most logical place is if we just go chronologically and we'll see where it leads. But there's some big stuff here for us to unpack. Yeah, yeah definitely. Very much looking forward to this. So you've got a few different moments that have, that have been the big change in your life. And you mentioned 2015, you, you went through and well, I'm going to use the word episode, but you can give us more clarity on that episode of psychosis. So two questions, like what actually was the catalyst for that unfolding? And then yeah, what, what that was like, like what was that experience? Um, how did it yeah. impact you, all of those things? I really feel like everything in that year was probably pointing in the direction of this happening at the end of the year. But yeah. I, I guess... The longer story is I had been working with a director and for many, many years, and I always sort of get, got a sense that there was something different about him. And, and, I, and I said to myself, I wonder what that is. And, yeah, you just don't, <laughs> you don't ask these questions. Um, and, yeah, something about his energy, which I just had no understanding of, but it was just different to everyone else. And I, I ended up going to a concert of one of my favorite bands and I was offered MDMA and I don't take drugs. Um, so that's what was kind of surreal about this experience. And it was particularly surreal because I was reading a Sam Harris book and in, on the ver- I had gotten to the first page and on the very first page he says he was offered MDMA at a concert. And he, he, it opened up this experience of ecstasy and this feeling of bliss that he'd never felt before and connection to everything. And I just had this God moment um, as someone that was essentially maybe agnostic, potentially atheist for my whole 20s. And I just was offered it. And I had this God moment of the book and this feeling of, god like i mean it was it was very this feeling of magic or something like that that i hadn't had since i was probably a kid yeah um and i took it and it took me on a wild ride that lasted one month i mean i it started just with those feelings of ecstasy and 
just being, I felt like the fog in my brain had cleared and I kept saying the fog is lifted, the fog is lifted and I could feel sort of golden energy and I could feel the crowd and I could feel the band and it just felt, you know, MDMA ecstasy. (laughs) And then um, I just was on this wild ride. I was watching a lot of Bashar at the time and Alan Watts, lots of Alan Watts, and I was just feeding it. So without understanding what we all now understand, the importance of grounding, I had none of that, unfortunately, (laughs) but I had all of the up and the up and the up and the up. And um, so I was frantically going to the gym and doing crazy workouts and feeling this big energy and feeling excited for, I just felt like I was one of, I was kind of being indicated or I was told in, in that MDMA experience, I had this image of me speaking on stage and that image said, you're here to be a leader. And something in my heart and my body said, oh my God, you're right. I wasn't, I had been a follower my whole career and I just, my body was saying, no, you're a leader. And I followed that really hard, that feeling of, oh, this is so exciting. And we're at a massive change point. There's this massive vibrational upgrade happening. And I'm so excited to be one of the first. And the feeling I had was that in five years, the masses would, um, would also be going through their own. And, but unfortunately, as is part of the process, I had three weeks after that experience, I had kind of all my um, trauma come up from when I was a kid and I was raised religious and I went to hospital. I went through a psychosis because it was really playing out a lot of religious fears, uh, which is terrifying. <laughs> and it took me a while to work through. I moved to the Blue Mountains to heal and I just healed. And through that came the Atlas, came these new ideas that were coming in dreams. And the Atlas actually came as a dream, the, the name. And the, this you know, my old collaborator came with this multi-dimensional book and said, this is what you're creating. It's called the Atlas of Consciousness. And it was this 3D book and it kind of gave grounding to all these new ideas that were coming into my life, new feelings that were kind of contributing to what a podcast would be and books and things like that. So mm. that's uh, that's how that psychosis began to change into creativity, essentially. Yeah, wow. So you see, you go through this spiritual experience, uh, that's for want of better terms, um, and and it opens your mind up to this whole other way, this whole other possibility. I'm really curious, as, as I mentioned before you come on, Jude, I allow the, the, the sensations I get in my body around different things. And, and you know, we, we talk about grief. At that point, and maybe still sometimes now, what was the disconnect between what this calling was to be a leader and, and what your logical brain was telling you about your ability to do that? Yeah, I would just say that I was just probably so young in my spirit and that I have always been capable of receiving massive visions, but the embodiment processes its own journey. So I would just say that I received that vision of being a leader um but i had to face you know it's still it's seven years in or something i'm still going um i just had to face so much fear obviously that trauma rising 
uh, years and years of it. I, I, I was processing fear. Uh, I was, I was very, I was probably very small that in, in my actual physical state in terms of how I related to the world. There was, hmm. I, I was afraid of everything and I manifested a lot of that. You know? hmm. um, now a heap of listeners are going to understand the different language you're using, but just to, just to bring some context in, uh, you mentioned embodiment, uh, to me, the best way I'd explain that would be we, we go through these different shifts and how do we actually integrate it into our into our whole being, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, if, if we look at the current moment in time, like how many people are really grappling with that, that whole embodiment piece because their body is literally going through all of these craziness and all these different symptoms. So at the time, how did you, like, well, maybe you didn't have any of the skills but if you look back at those times like what what how do you make sense of that time and what was going on from that perspective of trying to embody all of this newfound yeah. knowledge and, and energy yeah yeah the information came in hard and so then my body got dealt the, a blow and i think a car crash was probably the best analogy for how it felt internally yeah a car, a car crash is just constantly how it felt for a month or going through the heavy levels, which is any great physical illness, isn't it? You have the really intense period, which is what I went through. And I had no tools whatsoever, but I had the only thing I had, which was my saving grace, was that when I was in my early 20s, I decided I wanted to master, master cinematography. I wanted to be, I just made a choice when I was at university. I just went, I just want to master this craft. And so yeah. then I, I read every book under the sun. I shot everything I could possibly shoot. It was just a feeling I had in myself and, and my body, for lack of a better phrase. And I came to understand the relationship between vision and grounding which actually I didn't have those words back then but that I would receive a feeling and a vision or a picture in my mind of how I wanted the shot to look and it always was well beyond you know what was it was my own unique vision it wasn't standard for the industry I wasn't I wasn't even referencing the industry. I just yeah. was referencing this vision and I believed in it. I, I, I think that's the one thing I still to this day don't know how that happened, but I, I never questioned my ability um, as a filmmaker and as a cinematographer. I just never did. And it allowed me to pull on resources, to put together teams with grace and, to bring productions together really quickly and to constantly believe through all the challenges, which are weather, which are everything, you know, um, budget. I just kept believing and I would ground these, these pictures through the practical daily actions. So I was in hospital and that came back where I had this very strong feeling the whole time that I was going to write a podcast. If I ever came out of this alive, this was going to be the most phenomenal, groundbreaking, you know, podcast about awakening. 
And so I was creating diary entries every day. And for as much input as was coming in from fear, I would have this tiny voice in the back of my head that was just saying, just write down your experiences, write down all of them. And so I have this, I ended up throwing the book away, but I did have a diary in the hospital that has crazy scribblings all through it. And then sometimes, occasionally, you know, logical sentences about what I went through. And I I got to a point where I just went, I just had this this thought about well, what if this is actually mastery? Because I had sort of watched enough Bashar that I just went, well, maybe this is actually the best case scenario is this is all fear coming up and I have to master my mind. And that is what was the indication. I just decided that I would throw every possible thing at it just like I had mastered my film work and I was going to master my mind and as I I started listing every fear that could possibly have gotten me into into yeah that into jail I called it you know into into the mental health care ward and I was and I worked my way through it and that continued and and sort of I just kept having you know I still kept it's a car crash right so I still kept having stuff come to me even after I left that was testing me and 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 I would be crying and and a complete mess like completely distraught for for weeks um but the the beauty of the process of healing is it just gradually the tide started to go out and I had med- headspace meditation come to me pretty much a week or soon after the hospital. And I just said, I'm never, ever going to lose my mind ever again. I just had no concept of how powerful it is. It's the most powerful thing. And so I've never missed a day of meditation since then, as seven years now, and my whole life has changed completely in every way and continues to. But, yeah, that's that's that was embodiment. All I had was my vision, I had a sense of direction through my own self-talk, I suppose, and my own choices and my own sense of purpose. And I would write, you know, I would write every day or every few days, just feeling this strong feeling that, you know, that was the, that was my coach. That was the only thing that got me through that. Maybe there's a higher purpose to me going through this. Yeah. And I have to write it down and I have to believe in the higher purpose, not the day to day terrors that were coming to me. Mm. You said a phrase there. You said, um, if I came out of this alive. So was it a day to day thought yeah. of like I'm dying or? Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely that experience. Um, worse. I'd, thought if you're religious oh, you, you like take it where you think it will be taken you know just scary stuff like yeah right scary what you're taught you know what you're taught is is really traumatizing you you're taught about terrifying things and you're taught to mm. focus on that you're taught to mm. focus on those things and so the work is literally facing you know the terrifying things as they would say oh this is you know, this is this, for example, on the TV, it'd be, it'd be, you know, I'd see fire and things like this and I would, it would trigger me and it would bring up all this fear of, of what was going to happen. 
And so oh, like I had to, um, that religious sort of fire yeah, yeah. sort of vision. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. So I yeah. have, because I have such a big vision, that's my gift. Mm. It's, it's just as easy for me to embody the fear as it is to embody the vision. And my work, mm. and my work always, but particularly back then, the hardest work I did back then was to focus like there was no tomorrow, that there was a higher purpose and I could – it was just my fear. It wasn't reality. And as I kept choosing that it was just a fear, it was just a fear. I'd watch reality take the tide out and things would change. Mm. And I'd have more positive influences come in. I had a healing modality that every time I was triggered after that, I I would go straight to that modality and I would, I would let, you know, we'd feel the fear and we'd release it. And it changed my life. And then obviously after nine months, I started meeting so many others that had gone through what I had gone through because I was alone probably in this experience for nine months. But then after that, I met a community in Sydney. There's the Authentic Living Center. And and I met some other close friends that introduced me to a massive spiritual community and they changed my life. They became, you know, I went to one party and I met five people that changed the course of my life over the next however many years, which is how it works. But yeah, I yeah. did have to spend a lot of time, um, or not co- completely alone. I had a partner and we were walking the journey in some way, but I, together, but I kind of was the one that had gone through this big trauma. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and there were other people that gave me, as always, little snippets along the path people who had taken ayahuasca and things like that, that said, Oh, I've gone on this journey and you're just on a variation of that, you know, and that I had to hold on to that is the mm. only thing. It has to be that, you know, it can't be something yeah. else. Yeah. Um, well, this is great because uh, <laughs> yeah. so many people would be going through similar things. At I think the moment. so. The yeah. last two years has certainly brought out that, those sort of experiences. Of for people. Yeah. You have yeah. to, it's pulling, yeah, it's just it's just powerful new energy and then it's going to push up your trauma. Mm. Okay, and so I, I, I'll come back to the where you're at, but I, I'd love for you to explain for people, particularly those who are, this is, this is all new to them, right, the, the concept of consciousness and, and energy. And so can you explain energy for someone who's, who's suddenly – been exposed to all of like they'd probably recognize it showing up physically like you talked about psychosis and mentally how do you explain that in the way that they will understand through the lens of what they're experiencing at the moment what what is this sudden um bombardment of this new energy how do you make sense of that I, I, re- I actually read a lot of physics when I was at university. For some reason, I was deeply fascinated. And it's quite amazing, but science has so much to teach us about it. I mean, science and spirituality at the highest level meet in the middle. They're the same thing. And it's just, and mastery, essentially, um, is meeting spirituality at the highest level. How do I explain energy? Well, it's just positive and negative and in a very basic scientific sense. So you can bring it back to that very science-based positive and negative. What's happening on the planet is we're going through a lot of positive energy, a massive, at this point, 
humongous levels of positive energy. It's not yeah. something to fear. But what we do fear is we fear ourselves. We That is, we fear parts of our childhood. We fear experiences we may have gone through that, you know, essentially have been banked up as trauma. So we read it as negative energy. So the work that each of us has is to be present in our moment with whatever we feel like our highest excitement is and what is either in the way you have to see there may be something that's in the way of that and being present with that experience. And I gave you a very visceral experience. You know, my experience I feel is quite visual in that uh, my highest excitement at the time of my awakening was this feeling of becoming a leader and supporting and leading the, this feeling of, you know, a big change, a big positive change for the world. And, and I could feel that much energy. And then I had the terrifying trauma that I, you know, from my childhood come up, which was, which said, um, how can you be living in this unconditional love world when the reality of the world is actually terrifying and it's actually, you know, it's, it's God or not God. And that's what Mm. I had to face. I had to choose I had to choose unconditional love, which was a totally new belief system that I had no concept of other than being introduced to it over those past few months versus what I was raised on, my entire upbringing. So it's not easy work. No one is on the path is going to say it's anywhere remotely near easy, but it is your choice ultimately. And that's what I, that's where my empowerment came in every minute and I know everyone I've met on this path would say the same thing that you you just got to keep coming back to it's your choice and you're a painter so you can choose to paint with love or you can choose to paint with fear and I just mean saying looking at the situation you're in and saying well am I choosing what I really want um, and you have to sometimes think really deeply and you have to get really introspective and you really have to analyze it um, what feels exciting and and am i scared in this moment and why am i scared and and that's when you can turn to healing you can turn to yoga and meditation and exercise but but really i think i think the most spiritual practice is being present every single day whether you're at work (laughs) whether you're you know you're with friends that that's where it it all is it's just in the everyday detail The, the part of that that stood out the most was that how many of us, and I'd say probably just about everyone is in the Western world anyway, experiences that conditional love. It's almost uh, transactional. You yeah. do this, I do that. I know. Um, everything's Worth. got a, yeah, everything's got a, um, a different reaction that that has us then going forth into our future relationships, whether that's just friends or family or or someone closer, always looking for these conditions to be met. And yeah. and to me, it's it's easy to say, uh, not as easy to do. But the more we can set that intention of bringing more of that unconditional side, that that's where we get the biggest shifts personally, and then also in in the dynamics of our relationships as well. I agree. I'm curious about this healing modality. Uh, I also want to yeah. ask you about the meditation as well. But sure, so, sure. Yeah, so what, what was the – did one come before the other? Did the meditation yeah. – oh, you, know, you said you had headspace, so that was the introduction. Yeah, headspace. 
Yeah. And I needed headspace. I loved that I was dealing with this intense fear-based complex, so complex. There's so many rules and what am I supposed to follow? And then, and headspace is the antidote. Headspace gives you these little pictures and it it's just so simple. And when you're in a crisis, whatever that be, whether it's physical or emotional, mental, you just need simplicity. He just has these beautiful animations that Andy, who voiced it, um, he he just would talk through these clouds. You know, it's just clouds passing and come back to your breath. And 20 minutes of that every day and it was just, it would make me cry because I just needed simplicity. I just needed the most basic advice that said you're loved, you can be present, don't worry about all that scary crazy stuff put it down and just let the clouds pass you know that's what people in crisis really need and um yeah so it was it was incredible and it's such a step-by-step thing you just do you have a program so you do 90 days and yeah yeah i just yeah beautiful um and for those who are maybe have not um, have the best success with meditation or they're scared of it or worried about what it might be, there, there is absolutely the right tool out there because there's so many of them out there that will help you to to navigate it. And and to me, it's like it's, it's people make it out to be worse than it is in terms of getting themselves into that habit. But really, what you said, if you just come back to breath, even better if you've got someone to be able to then talk you through some visuals, then, yeah, it's it's a real like game changer in terms of all of those things you mentioned. Everything. The, yeah. yeah the it's clarity, the core. It's um, the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it brings, brings us back to self, right? It's, um, I mean, I still use guided meditations every day. So I would just recommend guided meditations, you know, yeah, yeah. and you can find a lot on YouTube. You can just type in guided meditation, you know, breakfast, and then it'll come up with yeah. a breakfast meditation that you can do every morning, you know, that, yeah, just look for simple. I think I tried meditation years before. I was trying these really complicated, they didn't help me yeah. meditations. But I realized what actually helped at that time when you're a beginner is you really have to start with basics. So that's why things like Headspace are great, where it's just a voice, it's guided 20 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes. Yeah. You just yeah, need agree. simple. Yeah. yeah. And then build yeah. upon it, you know, over many years, but try lots of there's lots of you can go into meditation mastery like anything else but the basics that's all you need just yeah support Uh, voice and time yeah well said because it it is it's um if you're starting out you're a beginner so treat it like you're just learning to walk and just be easy with yourself yeah definitely gonna be perfect at uh enlightenment or whatever that means it's uh (laughs) your first crack yeah so so did that clarity then lead you into this healing modality or is that another one of those things that showed up? Uh, it showed up. Synchronous, synchronous. I was just on YouTube. <laughs> I was just being <laughs> on YouTube and yeah. there was this lady. Uh, so her name is Melanie Tonya Evans and the, the program at the time was called NARP and I think she still has that same program. And it's called Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Program. And it's just a downloadable program where you have 10 meditations and she has evolutions on that other 
other packages, but I just knew I had to do it. And it also felt like it was, there was this little feeling, I was very alone. Like at this time, I just, I didn't, even though I had my partner who had gone through versions of what I'd gone through, I mean, she hadn't gone through the, she just hadn't gone through the trauma though. Even though we were both seemingly walking this awakening together, I went through this really intense fear that she didn't go through. And so I felt very alone in that I was, yeah. So I, I, this modality came in and I just was really drawn to it that I just, I just knew I had to do this. That's all I knew. And I came to it because the lady that created it, Melanie Tonya Evans did a, she was doing a video series and it just came up as a recommendation on my, on my front page that about toxic, having toxic people in your life and the impact on your emotions. (laughs) And I think I didn't know much about that concept, but some part of me thought, well, this has to be it. You know, I, I've been exposed to a lot of toxicity. And so perhaps my emotions are all embroiled in that. And that was the healthiest way I could look at it. You know, I could, I could see that actually maybe all of us have experienced a lot of toxic emotions and we created really complicated systems and structures based around toxic emotions and not healthy emotions. Mm. And so that's what started my process. And yeah, every time I, I felt a trigger from that point on, I would, do these meditations and visualizations that would ask your body. And that was so crazy to me. I never come anything like across anything like that, where you, she said, now ask your body, what is this? How old are you? And what is this trauma or what is this resistance about? And I would write whatever I felt was in my head. And it was this most profound wisdom that shocked me. And I was just in, you know, I was in that world for deeply in that world by myself just writing these things that my body was giving me and it was always on point it said when you're one years old when you're one year old you experienced this worldview which made you believe this fear and I, it was exactly correct and I just I just started that process of and I still do that I still have those 10 meditations and I still do them every few days when I need to but back then I needed to do them constantly obviously and Sometimes I'd, I'd do four hours a day, <laughs> and, and but that's how I got through. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's how the psychosis unfold, you know, un, it undid itself and it became healthy emotions. It stopped being all fear and attack. And I started having new experiences come in, like I had a, a film shoot and that was in Alice Springs. So I was exposed to the indigenous culture and I was – my the universe was asking me to come back to my heart and everything was about my heart and these experiences of being on the marshlands and I saw a big love heart in the sky it was very moving and it made me cry you know just big moments that returned me to um essentially it was this feeling of I love you you are valued I hear you, you know I feel like I even want to cry now thinking mm. about those experiences but I I was constantly being brought back to what I love personally and that I was returning to this universe different from the one I was raised in where it was uniquely tailored to me. Uniquely, it was 
recognizing that I was actually special and we're all special. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that's been cliched, but it's, it's spot on. And, and what I'm sort of struck by there is, is that the, returning to that sense of love is like you finding the truth of who you were, which is, to me is the yeah. kind of the pivotal part of the awakening process. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, once I start stripping back some of this other crap, this is, I'm actually, there's some good stuff going on under here. No, no, you, your natural self, it's, it's very special. It's like the finest masterpiece you could ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you mind if uh, I just navigate there to some of that, that, those, that younger stuff? Because when, sure. when you talked about the narcissistic abuse, like I felt like it was all, it was beyond anger. It was like a, it was like a rage. So was that something yeah. you experienced in the family home? I probably, I think I'll always not be very specific with this though. Yeah, I, yeah. there's definitely a reference, um, that re cause I, in the Atlas, I talk about all this stuff, but, but I really, all I'll say is that I've experienced a lot of violence in my life and I've had to undo that. And, yeah, and that's been my work. And I, yeah, I, I don't want to say specifically. It's because in some ways it's it's kind of, I, I was also bullied in high school and, and, and primary school. So there's a, it's it's a toxic world. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have experienced a lot of violence, yeah. Hmm. So uh, rather than going into the specifics, which I prefer that that's, not how we would do it anyway, but more yeah. about how, how that shaped you because you talked about the, yeah. the religious aspect, which a similar experience for me is like you get yeah. to a point where you go, the fear and the and the uh, control just doesn't compute. It's like this, like that can't be the same right. yeah. the same God that, that mm -hmm. uh, you talk about and from other contexts, but it does. It creates all these things that, that as a as a young kid like it just terrifying yeah, yeah terrifying yeah, it is it's like what what if i make a mistake what if i do this i know like, correct yeah and, uh, um, and then throw yeah. on top of that like you said you add that violence well that the fear that must have been yeah. building yeah. up to that point of psychosis must have been yeah. just massive it was huge um yeah you just tie all of the fear together and that's what you get but it's helpful a lot of people experience psychosis and there's no there's it's helpful when you go to shamanic cultures because they just say oh this is an awakening and they have no fear about it and they know it's about allowing the energy so that's grounding allowing the energy to just pass through putting your feet on the ground trusting in the support of the people or you know loving people around you shamans are epic for that reason but i went through essentially a shamanic experience without anything which is ridiculous yeah. and in the west which is ridiculous but i think that going through it in the west and going through the medical system and what a lot of people have gone through mental health crises have had to go through is i'm look at the way i'm able to talk now and look at the information i'm bringing in about the holes in the west in our understanding in that we do, I watched that we do believe we have all this understanding. It's there's a massive gap.
and ancient cultures have that understanding and they, they've always had that understanding. Yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, um, what was I going to, I was going to say this one thing. I had this one experience when I was kind of in that recovery period and mm. I had sort of been part of a massive fight, which triggered really scary fears. And I went straight to the beach and I was crying and I was crying and I just went on this massive rant to God. I didn't know what I was talking to, but I was just saying, I don't know what you want of me. How could I know what happens after death? Why do you want me to, you know, I was just everything as a real human being. How could I possibly be perfect at all times? That's not fair. That's not possible. And, um, and I just got mad. (laughs) I think I got mad and, um, I, you know, I'm trying my best and I, I meditated for a bit and then I was walking past this shop front and the shop front said, give up everything for love or something like that. There was a sign, gamble everything for love. That's what it said. Yeah. Wow. Well. And it just hit me in that moment where it was just another one of those, you are heard and yeah, you're heard and that's all, you know, you're heard and have the courage to to terrifyingly step through those fears, let them go and trust that on the other side is unconditional love. Trust that. It's very hard. I mean, it's imp- it's you just do it and it's not because you're not scared, but you just have no choice but to, well, I can only believe that things are more than this, you know, mm. and that's what I did. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that everyone has a moment like that where a sign turns up that is just too perfect for words. It's what you do with that sign. You, you'll be shown more signs, but it makes it much easier if you act on the first one, right? You actually then take that with you and go, okay, well, as you said, it, there's, there still will be an element of fear and there still will be challenges, but I'm, I can't go back to the way that I was living. So I need to at least give this a try. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, cool. So when we first met, you went by the name of Ella. So That's tell right. us about that other massive shift in your life yeah. and how that yeah. all unfolded for you. Yeah, so I call it the second awakening. And I was, as I was mentioning before, it, to me, this is actually grief-centered, uh, yeah. whereas I feel like the psychosis is judgment-centered. You know, a lot of those belief structures are around, it's about dealing with self-judgment and self-worth. Grief, uh, grief is paralysis in some ways because so for 10 years I also had this <laughs> underneath all of that as it does unpacking the onion layers. Um, many years later when we went through COVID, I, my COVID was... Um, so 2020, my COVID was every single day discovering, you know, through meditation, just having this inflow of you're a boy and the terror of that, <laughs> more terrors of having to, you know, it was something I'd run away from for a very long time and I was planning on running away from it until I died. Yeah. And then COVID hit, <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have a chance to run away from it and and it wouldn't let me run away. I had um, a trans man come into my life, so female to male, and he became my housemate. And so every day I was faced with the information, just actually practical information, as well as the spiritual feeling of 
you know, this is you, you are a boy. And I spent a lot of time with my, oh, we, we all did during COVID, but I, I'd go down to the beach and I just have these really heart opening experiences around feeling what that, if I just let myself tune into that and believe I was a boy, you know, and it's, it's an extraordinary challenge. Another one that, that, you know, when you're raised as a girl, it's, yeah, it's, it's just so confusing to put it lightly. It's, it's just extraordinarily confusing to arrive at that feeling. But I, I chose you know, I, I just knew it's what it was. I started writing this book in the same way as the podcast came through it. The way that I navigated my way through all the confusing emotions was daily. It, and that's why it felt like a 2.0 or a sequel to the, to the first awakening and that I, I was writing passages every day. And in the passages, I felt this new world light, the feeling of what COVID was kind of or what depression creates the blanket for it's it's like i say it's like the soil so depression and grief it's like the soil and that's what i was going through and the new plants you need to have that period where it's just turned over and it's mulch and and the new plants can come through that old soil and you've got these bright new beautiful sprouts and that's what what becoming a boy was for me and and i chose to i started the hormones and that began a really mother another level of unraveling which was socio-cultural not just physical mm. I went through all the physical changes discovering emotionally and physically how very different men are to women I mean you just don't know but now I can speak I feel like I can speak both languages say <laughs> yeah. it's like translation I can I can translate um but it's very different and I had to go through what what what's it called what a lot of men go through in the ancient cultures which men the rite of passage yeah, yeah and i moved to a farm and i was by myself and i just knew i had to be to let my emotions play themselves out and in some ways that's also missing from the west and so you have a lot of men and boys um anyone that identifies not just obviously cis men born as in in that body but anyone that identifies that way, you've got, you've got a massive, you know, they just have nowhere to go. There's nowhere to anchor. And so I experienced that. And I just, I just knew somewhere inside and knew what it was to be a man. So I, I got myself, I, I, I pulled myself through it in that knowing of, you know, your body knows this, what I didn't know how to do is how to be a woman. And actually, yeah, my whole 20s, I was really pushed in that direction. And I tried so many things to try and be that. And my body by the end of my 20s was hitting hard rejection. And just I was going through panic attacks. I was having huge depression. Um, I mean, that's one of the main things that kind of goes with being trans. So yeah, 10 years of depression. And the the for me, the cure to depression, I learned was was action but action in the direction of your truth and so that's when i started the the hormones and i felt viscerally internally instantly a total change from depression to um just gratefulness and excitement to be alive 
Hmm. And yeah, and it obviously like the first awakening, it didn't stay like that. I had to go through all these fears, but hmm. even for all the fears, I, I always felt, but I would rather, I am a boy. So I'd rather be, the, you know, going through this fear. That's a very male fear than, hmm. than not be who I am. And yeah. And at this point where it's grounded and I told you this beautiful new things coming in, Oh God, it feels so good. <laughs> That's all I would say. It's yeah. what I've wanted my whole life. Yeah, it's wow. just, yeah, I've had to get there a really long and windy way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and without making it a comparison, uh, for people like listening, thinking about their own journey, no matter how much unraveling needs to happen, it can still happen. Like you, the things that you've talked about, this is beyond what most people could probably even comprehend but it's still there is that possibility to come out the other side if you keep just being open and trusting and find your truth it doesn't matter what it looks like to anyone else or seems like to anyone else it's finding your own truth and no matter what that looks like to the individual you're going to get resistance particularly from the people closest to you right so what what was the biggest well i don't know did you still have contact at your family with your family at this point and and if so what like what sort of reaction did you get from going through this transition yeah one of my greatest fears was about my family and to be fair that all manifested <laughs> um yeah. yeah i've i one of the kind of hard truths about being well walking the very male journey I think that a lot of men go through but that is unsaid is that i just say being a being a man is about truth and space so if you want to understand why they do certain things it's just that simple it's that they they're like truth you know truth pillars and and they need space for that truth and hence why sort of those coming of ages are related to going out into the wilderness and just finding yourself through like kind of barraging against trees and picking up rocks and trying to stay alive. I I feel like I went through a socio-cultural version of that yeah. where, you know, I, as I found my truth and I went out into the world that, yeah, there's a, it was, it's just a lot of backlash, you know, mm -hmm. and and I felt so sensitive. I, I feel like the thing that's so unsaid in and that I can bring as a, a gift in being trans is that men are just as delicate flowers as women. And there's nothing but like a trans person or a trans man to give you that proof that this person was treated as a woman for this many years. And then suddenly by way of appearance, they get to be treated complete with with harshness they're part of a totally different world it's a male-to-male -male energy it's it's much more brutal it's really hard to get used to even for for all the work we're all doing to soften you know the man's world it's still there it's still pressing and it's it's this fear and what i started experiencing was so i went from um i've i went from not being heard as a woman so a lot of trans people will express this experience to the opposite. I had a trans girl in my life and she said, be prepared for people to listen to you. And I just yeah. couldn't possibly, cause I had spent 10 years working so hard, double time as a woman, 
you know, you have to work so much harder to be heard. And then I came into this experience and when I did start to pass and I just recognized there were moments that kind of hit me that this is it. This is what she's talking about. People yeah, are listening yeah, to yeah, Wow. It's, um, it's horrible, but this is what has to be, the light has to be shone on it. And the other thing is that, um, but the other side of it is that you're suddenly responsible for everyone else's thing. So they will throw everything at you. You'll have a lot of negativity thrown at you. I'm just as sensitive as I was as a girl. Um, and I had to learn what was me and what was, what was them. And I think that for a long time, I thought it was all me. I thought, well, this is all happening there. You know, people are treating me this way because I've done something wrong. I really have done something wrong. I've caused them pain. I feel bad about myself. And, and I had to go through all these different scenarios of a lot of hatred coming my way where I just analyzed everyone and I just went, but did I do something wrong in this? And I would go, well, you did do this wrong. <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't correct. But then the level that came back at you, you know, for this little thing that you did, um, you know, I learned what men go through and I felt shocked. Um, you know, I felt experientially shocked and, I own up to even as a woman in my 20s, you know, you kind of jokingly throw everything at men because there's no cultural, you know, okayness that it's like almost a cultural okayness that men can just take it. But what is not culturally known is they're just as sensitive as women, just as delicate, exactly the same, you know, and and if it was okay as if that would have been okay to chuck all that stuff at me as a woman, no one would have ever done that. Um, yes. Yeah. So I've gone through that unique experience where I'm the same soul, but mm. I'm treated totally differently. Mm. The, the, the point you made there around like the just meant to take all that on that, that to me, that's, that plays into what you said about space. And it's been true for my own journey. It's been true for plenty of men that I've worked with is, is there's not, a space where they can be who they want to be and who they are. Yeah. And there's on the one hand, we're going, men need to be more vulnerable and they need to talk. But then when they do, their experience is usually not a pleasant one. Yeah. And so it's yeah, like, well, you, you, we can't have it both ways. We actually need to be able to create a space. And it's really fascinating to hear you talk through this, this unique lens because, yeah, generally either sex is not, equipped with the actual language and the and the method and the process and the connection yeah. to be able to see things from the other perspective. Um, one of my collaborators, he said, um, yeah, I could be like a therapist for men, basically. But, but actually what came to me um, as a, a part of my mission, I had last year when I was going through the really intense transition, I had this feeling in my heart say that I'm here to free men and but to free men from themselves mm. and yeah, to find that space inside if essentially, you know, the masculine energy is reaching for infinity and the thing that creates the trauma and the chaos is, well, we're bumping up against a real world every day where how do you find infinity when there's cages everywhere and mm. you've got to work your ass off basically and men work their ass off, but it's also, you know, I think culturally it's it's 
it's the personal acknowledgement of I'm working my ass off. I acknowledge that. I respect myself. And then there's, I suppose through dialogue like this, a cultural shift of, because we've gone so hard in the direction of anti-patriarchy, which is correct, but there's a balance point where we need to treat everyone with kindness, however they identify, of course. And, and yeah, that, that's a hangover from the patriarchy. All, all people suffer from patriarchy. So men, I think men suffer, I mean, women suffer in their own way, but men suffer in a, in huge ways that can, um, I think what I was talking to one of my guy friends and saying, just going on this rant and he was just, he was, he was just saying, yeah, he just agreed. And I think that, yeah, I just, I, I just, I think part of it is that it's actually, I said to him, I've discovered that men don't talk about this, not because they don't want to, but because part of testosterone is essentially it's like power. It's just, it's just having voltage, having, imagine getting that thing and cranking it to a hundred, which is problematic because you're, you're talking about a, a Tesla rocket that's designed to go to the moon and it needs to go straight <laughs> and, it, and, and, you know, yeah. Anyway, I'm just yeah. saying that no, no, part of good. the issue, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just that there's too much power that it's hard to, you're trying to get a grip of yourself mm. and then you can start coming to the world and, and yeah. being there for everyone. I think it comes back to that ability to have self-control. Like there, there is this real impact from testosterone from the moment boys go through puberty and then it's trying to make sense of it even <laughs> as a, a much older <laughs> adult. So it's... Yeah. Yeah, I think I got what you were you were trying to say, and it is very much that that being able to harness that that massive voltage. I, I wanted to touch on something else that you talked about before. I, I get the feeling from how you describe that psychosis is that not only visually you you your mind goes to this massive vision, but you've got the ability to process massive amounts of data from a visual perspective, but also from a thinking perspective. Yeah. So when you go through this transition, like, how did you, how were you able to harness that energy of all these different oh, visions and thoughts? And how we, yeah. shouldn't be allowed. That's what I would say. Well, this um, is important because a lot of, a lot of yeah. men have that same experience. Yeah, right? yeah. They, they get told they're overthinkers and all this sort of stuff. It's like, sure. no, what if you could be able to harness that incredible sure. power you have? You have to harness it. Yeah. So I, I just say I'm designed as a rocket. Like I'm, my energy in its natural state is rocket ship energy. And that's why I had such a depression being on estrogen. It's just so unnatural to, to, to who I am in my personal. Um, yeah. So I just, it's just tenacious work. I worked my ass off. I was on this farm. I meditated for two hours, three hours, sometimes at four hours, five, six hours, and I just knew my purpose was just to be there and get the energy through me. So I did that NARP program I, over and over and over and over. I would do so many of those. I would go for really long runs. Um, it's all energy going out, you know. And yeah, yeah. I also, I actually didn't have many people around me at the time, but I did have, um, so 
maybe you know Simon and Laura from the Authentic Living Center, but they have a modality called Unconditional Love Healing. And so I was doing healing swaps. So I had sort of, by this point, I'm well into my conscious journey and I have a lot of modalities at my fingertips and also morning pages. I do the artist. The artist way was my way to vision up something totally different. So I'd be by myself, but I'd go on artist dates and I do my morning pages every day to find out what, you know, it gives you the clarity of what the next step is. And that was, and that's the same as what I did in the Blue Mountains a lot of the time. A lot of these practices were the same. In the Blue Mountains, I went for long runs in nature. I, yeah, I would write all the time. I would go to cafes. I mean, even that's part of it, you know, just being regular and talking to people. I'd go to this same cafe that felt so safe and it was just generally older people and they have so much wisdom and grounding that they just tell me stories and it just gets you out of the crazy shit that you know and it was it was actually kind of crossover COVID time New South Wales was in COVID at that time so I felt like I was still experiencing I was going through the hangover of of that in that still the world was in some sort of lockdown and and I was still facing huge fears that I had to but that's how I did it and I also, when I'm of more grounded mind, I write music and actually music is the highest thing for me. I, I, I sit down every night and with, whether it's with a blank page and I'm trying to write something or it's actually with channeling through, you know, you've got to find the thing that is your thing um, that allows you to, and I mean, music is traditionally, it creates that space. So Mm. that's what. I had to learn to respect music and creativity before music, creativity. I was talking about writing. I was writing a book. The Being in touch with my highest level of creativity is how I was constantly, and still to this day, that's how I stay sane. You know, I'm, I'm in touch with my creative space, which is vast, infinite, and wherever it wants to go. And then you just have your practical, I found, you know, in, in my life currently, my piano routine actually is is grounding it's as grounding if not more grounding than meditation in my current life because it's grounding that big creativity and but before that like I said it was writing uh, putting the pen to the page documenting my experiences and that is how I got through (laughs) the really big energy that came with testosterone and the other thing I would say is that they gave us equivalent to what men go through um in two years in three months oh wow so intense it was it was yeah psychosis 2.0 yeah right um so <laughs> what, what i what i got, took from that uh is that if we come back to that concept of embodiment how you uh bring more of being more of who you are the key things you talked about was presence. Now, we, you talk about meditation or just silence, time alone, uh, breath, uh, structure and routine, so crucial. And then I talk about a lot about journaling, but really what you're saying, it's any kind of art. It's just getting all of that stuff out of your head, whether it's through music, through writing, through um, some other form of artistic method, which can be performance, can be through your sport, whatever, well, those are really key elements to get you through that that uh, 
overstimulation of, yeah. of thoughts and yeah, or what, however data shows up for you. So that's a that's a really good overview, um, Jude. Yeah. I really appreciate that. That's okay. They they all work together as well. So yeah. you you got to you got to move your body. You got to move your soul and your spirit and your mind. Yeah, move the energy. Yes, yeah. emotion, right? Energy and motion. Yeah, Let's get, get it moving. Now you've talked about a lot about the creativity and the atlas of consciousness. So I know your brand has got a few different arms, but of course, the way that you describe your journey, it makes total sense, right? So tell us a little about about what you do, and uh, yes, more of an umbrella version because. Uh, I know there's a lot of depth to it as well. Yeah. Um, well, it's just, so the Atlas of Consciousness is a media and production company. And the tagline is it shares a vision for a new world. So essentially I work with leaders that, and we film their stories and we just create, cut their stories into really tight pieces, describing, you know, the richness of who they are and we share it and, some of the some of the amazing things that have happened. So a man came to me who had just a few live years to live. His name was Anthony Symes, and and what came to me was his story was a story of life. You know, he had always felt that he was in the background. He he decided with these last few years that he wanted to be seen. You know, and it was just this bold, and still to this day, he's just the most profound human I feel I've met because he was so good to all of us in the crew and he was his muscles were dying every day that we saw him and he was so kind and he was really professional with us and he stood up for his truth and his truth was to support assisted dying laws so unfortunately it didn't happen before he passed but after he passed his sister-in-law shared the video and one of the associations dying with dignity shared it and they tagged all these local politicians and it ended up getting viewed 132,000 times and tagged all these politicians and the in my understanding so hopefully i didn't get this wrong but it's been passed in new south wales so he got his wish and it was through his truth that he got his wish but yeah it's it's people like him there's a lot of others that i've worked with that they're just visionaries you know they have their own practices they have big visions for the world and i make videos and podcasts with them and and share it and the atlas also makes its original podcast so that's when i tend to share a lot of my personal journey and yeah i've made two that are being distributed and there's a lot of there's a lot of material that in the next few years I'm hoping to get out into the world which is some of the stuff I said I was writing books and other podcasts and things like that awesome so not only your own journey of stepping into the truth of who you are you're now helping other people to find their truth and share it with the world uh yeah yeah it it walks alongside itself I really it's it's the work I do I I support other leaders with their with their visions and and yeah my as I said what my daily practice is is recording my own experiences and that's what gets me through. 
I can relate to that. And listeners of this podcast know what I, I would I do the same. And and the sharing those messages, uh, yeah, they're they're not just to share wisdom, but they're our own cathartic process. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Jude, is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with before we wrap it up? Um, no, I'm sure there'll just be links for them to be able to check out some of the content. And Absolutely. yeah, a lot of the stories I've told, uh, are, you know, they, they will be shared or have been shared in, in Atlas content, different podcasts that have been or will be released. So very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have those links in there and, and I'm particularly interested in the, the journeys that you describe there of, of people's, uh, yeah, people's story. Uh, it is powerful. It's, it's one of the reasons why I love this platform to, to share other people's stories and thank you for coming and sharing yours, Jude. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was awesome. Good stuff. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.